Welcome to Season 3 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Daniel Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unbox, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 63, Star Realms. Today, we are joined by two Magic the Gathering Hall of Famers, Robert Dirty and Darwin Castle, the co-founders of Wise Wizard Games, as well as co-designers on Star Realms, Hero Realms, and oh my gosh, so, so many offshoots. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk everything realms. But first, I want to know how did you both get into the gaming industry? What's your story? Uh, Darwin, do you want to go first, or sure? Um, so I started by being a gamer, uh, as you already mentioned. Uh, I've played a lot of Magic. That's how I got in the Hall of Fame uh, and did it well. And there's definitely some relationship between um, deck design in a high strategy game and then taking that to game design. I mean, there, there's not a one-to-one correlation, but there is definitely a relationship. And so part of it is it, some of it's the same type of mental skill set, but also uh, it helps to be interested in the field. Like if you're playing games and you're, it's a really big part of your life, obviously you're interested in gaming. So that, that, is part of it too. And uh, what really nudged me in that direction was one Upper Deck Entertainment contacted Rob to see if he and any of his uh, team of Magic players, which included me, uh, would be willing to, on a, a short-term contract basis, help with the engine for a major card game they're working on, the Versus system for Marvel and DC. And so uh, a bunch of us accepted, and we were we flew out to California to work on that for, I don't know, like a week. And uh, that process really uh, helped spark things from there, both in the, wow, this is something I can do. Like I was part of the process. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is not like some foreign language. I can totally do this. And two, it was fun. And three, well, I wasn't even doing it. And people asked for my help. Imagine if I like wanted to do it. <laughs> like, you know, it, it seemed like a field that was potentially open to me. That is so cool. I'm not going to lie. As a kid, my first purchase I ever did on eBay was buying the DC versus system. Like I bought like one of those huge boxes that had like the booster packs on the inside. And I bought that off eBay and just me and my siblings just like kept unwrapping it. But we spent over $100 on it when it was like a first job income. (laughs) So ridiculous. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, So uh, I got into gaming long, long ago. Uh, I was like... uh, uh, started with like uh, board games like Risk and Axis and Allies, and you know quickly got into like uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and then that spread into multiple uh, role playing systems like GURPS and Hero Realms, and or, sorry, not Hero Realms, uh, uh, um, uh, the Hero System, and uh, um, lots of uh, lots of youth uh, gaming, including like Warhammer Fantasy Battle, and you know just tons of different games, um, and. All along, I was tinkering with games, so I would frequently take games that existed and, like, change their rules and make new versions of them and play them with my friends. And frequently, those became more popular than uh, in our in our little play groups than, uh, than the original games. Um, so sort of tinkering with games is something that I just liked doing from, uh, you know, from 
from being a kid. Um, and then uh, um, I continued to sort of tinker with game ideas um, uh, as an adult. And after, after I got, uh, you know, got a game store um, and at some point I was like, you know what, I actually want to get into doing this. Um, and I decided to basically uh, learn how to self-publish. Um, and so I uh, made uh, um, an accessory for Magic the Gathering. Um, I found uh, at the time there was a, a, a big market for um, these little play rewards that Wizards of the Coast would send out, which were these like tokens for uh, for. Um, uh, for magic, like squirrel tokens or soldier tokens, etc., um, and they would sell for like ridiculous amounts of money, like five, six bucks each. Um, and uh, and I thought to myself, well, these aren't you know the, these don't have any copywritten terms on them. They're like you know literally like a squirrel with a picture of a squirrel on it. Um, I could totally make something like this, and it would be a good one. It would, there's a lot of demand for it, and two, it would be a good process for learning how to how to do these things so i hired artists and uh graphic uh, graphic designer and i you know put uh, assembled these you know uh uh put this together found a printer figured out how to get them printed um and just sort of went through that entire process and put out this accessory and it actually did pretty well it made a little bit of money you know it, it uh um but uh but more importantly it's sort of like uh, I learned, uh, I learned the process. And then from there, um, there were, you know, a whole bunch of games that I had ideas for, I wanted to put out and with various friends, I did various, uh, game projects. Um, so, uh, I had a friend, Chad Ellis, who was, a um, uh, Harvard business grad, and he was a big uh, game player at my store. We started, uh, we started a game company, uh, uh, with the same name as my store, Your Move Games, um, and put out a few games with that. Um, had some nice, we got, some, we won some awards and had some f big fans of the games, but never got anything. It was a big financial success. Um, and uh, tried a couple other things uh, from there. My first sort of big financially successful game was Ascension, which I did with uh, Justin Gary. Um, and then, you know, moving on to, um, to uh, Star Realms with uh, with Darwin after that, and I answered more than the question. So that's, uh, that's <laughs> no, I like it. It's one. an amazing <laughs> history. Okay, so then how do we enter into Star Realms? Like, how did that chapter start? So um, after I knew that I wanted to get into game design at the time, I was actually uh, managing Rob's game store for him. At some point, um, I ended up. Uh, getting someone to replace me at that job so I could then actually go work as a contractor at Upper Deck on a more full-time basis because they were, you know, looking for uh, smart people to work on versus. And since I was one of the people who helped with the, you know, base of the game, the, the engine design, it wasn't too hard to convince them that I should be someone that they would let contract with them. And so I learned a lot there and that helped build up my resume. And it was about this time when Rob was looking to start his own game company. And I'd, uh, you know, suggested that Chad might be someone good for that. And so they started doing that while I was in California. And 
at the about the time I was ready to leave California, they were looking to increase their staff. And so I was a natural fit to come back to Massachusetts and work for Rob and Chad. And so that's when I actually first started uh, designing my own games. Like when, when I worked at Upper Deck, I'd been doing development work on um, versus mainly just uh testing out cards and mechanics to make sure they were sound and stuff like that. I wasn't actually doing design work, um, but I knew by then it was something I wanted to do. And uh, Chad and Rob uh, were publishing a bunch of games. Uh, Their main game was a game Rob designed called Battleground Fantasy Warfare. And uh, while I designed some of the sets, the sort of expansion sets for it, uh, I also designed some small sort of pocket 15-minute card games uh, that they liked and purchased from me and ended up publishing a couple of them. Uh, and that got my start. Like, you know, now I had my name on, even if they were like just small decks of cards for like a 15-minute strategy game, it was just like, okay, I am a published game designer now. And, and that was exciting. Um, and when Rob eventually left that company to start another company, uh, I went with him. And that was when he was starting uh, a game that was more similar to Magic so uh, and, and to Versus. So I was a natural person, not to mention Rob and I were close friends, to help him with that project. Uh, and eventually uh, that... Uh, project, you know, ended, uh, and I was out of work. Uh, but now I was obsessed with, you know, game design development and knew this is what I wanted for a career, having now worked for three different companies doing it and being a published designer. Um, so I was, didn't occur to me to, you know, anything like self-publishing or starting a game company. So I'm like, okay, well, uh, I, I could just try and get some retail job. Here I am unemployed, but no, I, I want to you know, do this for a career. And by that point, I had contacts at a wide variety of game companies that made the kind of games I liked, you know, companies like Wizards of the Coast and Upper Deck and uh, various other companies, a lot of which were on the West Coast. Uh, but that wasn't a deal breaker since I'd previously lived on the West Coast before working for Upper Deck. So I ended up flying to the West Coast and doing job interviews at like a variety of different uh, game companies, at least three or four, uh, at least four or five game companies on the West Coast, driving between Seattle and Southern California in my rental car. But before I did that, I'm like, well, to increase my chances of getting hired, it'd be cool to like design a cool game that I could show them and be like, hey, look what I can do. And at the time, I was obsessed with Rob and Justin's game Ascension. And uh, but I felt like there were several problems with the game. I mean, in spite of the fact that I was obsessed with it, like basically it obviously had to be pretty good for me to be obsessed with it. But I'm like, there's so many ways this game could be improved and changed and made better. And, you know, I started working on a project. I'm like, you know, this is the direction I want to go. Cause I was really into deck builders back then. There weren't a ton of them back then. And so I yeah. designed an early prototype of star realms, which I brought with me, on that trip on the West Coast. And while it didn't get me a job, uh, I ended up, you know, hanging out with a lot of friends there who I showed the game to, who gave me input, and I kept improving it, improving it. And uh, it was getting pretty good by the time I came back, but here I was still without a job. But Rob had helped me a little bit with it before I left, and he looked at it some more when it came back, and he started making more decisions. He was obviously really getting into it and really liking it. And at some point, he was like, you know, maybe we should just 
published it ourselves. This game's really good. Like it seems worth existing, you know, and you're available because you're unemployed. <laughs> and uh, I, I happened at that point to know someone named Tan Thor Jen, who had uh, told, I had worked for Tan on a magic related project. And he told me that he really liked Ascension, which I'd done some development work on. And he said, if you and Rob ever want to make a game, you know, kind of like Ascension or any any kind of game, frankly, that could translate to digital, like I'm your guy, like uh, Tan had uh, done uh, the programming for the apprentice program that most people had played magic on back in the day before magic online. And he had developed some other apps. So like, you know, he had the chops and uh, so I was you know pretty flattered that he was just, this is before we even ever had published a game. He was just like, Hey, if you guys, I liked Ascension, if you guys ever need someone to make a gaming app. So I said to, Hey Rob, you know, I like your idea of starting your own game company, especially since I know a guy, because even then I could tell that like it was a really good idea to make a game that was good for both physical and digital. Like I, I was obsessed with Ascension largely because of the app. And so when I designed Star Realms, I had digital in mind. Um, so that the only thing that stopping us at that point was, well, we just uh, needed to have some startup cash. And so the three of us all contributed some money and uh, we did a Kickstarter, which fortunately uh, we all in our own way, you know, had a little cachet attached to our name in the gaming industry to get some eyeballs on the Kickstarter. And uh, that actually did you know, what nowadays wouldn't seem like a lot of money, but at the time seemed like a lot of money because uh, we far exceeded our, our goal and that's what got us going. And and so, yeah, we, we ended up founding a company based around that one game. And obviously the company's gone a long way since partly because that game, you know, really, it, it really hit, it struck something with the gaming fan base out there. That's so amazing. And then for anyone who hasn't played this deck builder, would you mind explaining how Star Realms is played so they have reference? Sure. Do you want to do that, Robert? You want sure. To so uh, Star Realms is a, it's a deck building game where basically you're playing a PvP uh, thing scenario. So it's like a game like Magic the Gathering where your opponent starts with a score and you're trying to get their score down to zero, but you're doing this with a deck building engine. And in many ways, Star Realms is an incredibly simple game. So um, a lot of the uh, extraneous rules around deck building games have been trimmed out with Star Realms. So, for example, there's no limit to the number of cards you can play on a turn. You have a, a starting hand of five cards each turn, and you can just play cards from your hand. And those cards will give you money or combat or other effects. You use your money to buy additional cards for your deck. When you buy a card, it goes straight to your discard pile. Um, and combat can be used to attack your opponent uh, to lower their score down. If you can get their score down to zero, uh, it's called authority. Uh, you win. Um, and also you can attack their stuff. So uh, there are some cards in the game that are ships. So when you play them, they do a thing. And then end of the turn, they go to the discard pile. And there are other cards in the game, which are bases. You play them, they do their thing. And then they stay in play and they have a defense value. And they you can use them turn after turn until your opponent uses combat uh, to uh, destroy them. Um, and so when you have combat, you can either attack your opponent or you can attack uh, their bases. Um, so... 
Uh, it has that PvP uh, element like a trading card game, but it's using a deck building engine and that deck building engine is very streamlined. So the game's incredibly simple to learn. Um, a lot of players will tell us, oh, this is the only game my husband or my wife or my you know, mom <laughs> or whoever will play with me. You know, My non-gamer friend will play with me. And frequently that will get that non-gamer friend into game, you know, this type of game. And then, you know, and then, uh, you know, the floodgates are open and they can try all kinds of uh, hobby games. In, in some ways it combines uh, my two favorite types of games. Like, obviously I like magic a lot because I, you know, played it for 10 years competitively. Uh, so I like trading card games and that sort of PVP attack your opponent's score, try to reduce to zero kind of game. Uh, but I also was obsessed with deck building games like Ascension. Um, and here I sort of took major, I took the two and sort of combined them into one game. Like I've got the deck building element, but I also have the PVP element. And there just hadn't been a significant game before that that combined both those elements at least not so elegantly and uh i think that's what really made the game stand out in the marketplace that and plus our initial packaging we created it in a 15 dollar box uh as opposed to these large board game sized boxes that most deck building games were in like for 40 50 bucks and the amount of replay you could get from that 15 dollar box you know equaled or exceeded the replay people were getting out of their $50 boxes. And so those are the two big innovations, I think, was the amount of gaming per dollar you got and the uh, combining these two really uh, interesting uh, genres and ways to play uh, card games. I was going to say it is very easy to travel with and you don't run into that problem like Dominion where if you put it on its side, you're like, no, (laughs) (laughs) like the panic. (laughs) Yeah, so with uh, uh, Star Realms, it was it was interesting that we were we were kind of doing this as a side project. We're kind of doing it to get Dar- you know to build up Darwin's name recognition. Um, so, like you know, my uh, going into development work, uh, you know, heavy development work on Star Realms. My you know my primary goal was like help my buddy Darwin get a job. You know, like this is you know like. Uh, um, you know, that's where, um, you know, the, the development goal started and, um, and basically, uh, the game was pretty fun to start with, but we just kept iterating on it and making it, you know, just more and more streamlined, more and more fun, um, like simplifying the play, making it you know, faster, easier. And then at some point, it was, you know, like, I was just like, yeah, this is getting really good. We, we should definitely consider, you know, doing it, uh, doing it on our own. But then at that point, it was like, okay, well, what do we want it to make it look like? And we decided to go with this small footprint because, like, the way we play deck building games, we would, like, carry them around with us at mag- to magic tournaments and stuff and, like, want to break them out there and play them. And so frequently, we would take the big box take out the cards, put it in like a magic deck box and carry it around with us. Cause we didn't need all that extra stuff. We knew how to play the game and we had the cards and that was enough. Um, and so we kind of made star realms the way we would want it to exist for us. Um, and I, that was kind of dangerous in that, okay, the, 
biggest advertising most games have is their packaging and shelf space. So you see the game on the shelf and you're like, oh, what's this? And you take it down and look at it. So taking a, you know, uh, taking a game and putting it into a small box uh, is reducing that visibility. Also, um, the amount of work that goes into the game doesn't increase much going from a little tiny tuck box to a big, you know, a big box, but the perceived value of it, what someone's willing to pay for it drops like a stone. So instead of like being willing to pay 40, 50 bucks for a game, oh, it's in a little tuck box, I'll pay like 20 bucks for it, maybe. Um, so it, uh, uh, so there was a lot of dangers to it, but it ended up being fantastic because people tried the game and you know they basically loved it and they couldn't believe how small and cheap it was so that made it sort of a novelty and uh got us massive um uh, uh name recognition for the game very very quickly that's so cool interestingly um one of the key design and development moments uh, stemmed from a rejection I got while I was on my West Coast trip. Uh, Rob and I's friend, uh, Justin Gary, by that point had started his own company based in Southern California. And I was like, man, what a dream it would be to work for the company that was still publishing Ascension, which was one of my favorite games, and to work for one of my friends. You know, I'd known I enjoyed working for multiple companies when Rob, you know, was my boss. Um, and so I met up with Justin and one of his uh, key employees and showed them Star Realms. And while his employee loved it, uh, Justin was like not not having it he just was like eh, not really my thing and, and i pressed him on it and he explained that uh, it was just too complex like basically there was too much math to do like every card you could like either get like this much trade or this much uh you know combat and so then you had to decide well if i choose like you know combat from these and trade from these and add them up and i get that it was just it was just overwhelming it just became this big math problem um and so he he just wasn't interested and like that made a, a ton of sense to me uh but it really sort of attacked one of the sort of basic design tenets of the whole game because i wanted every card to be good in both the early game and late game i didn't ever want there to be cards that weren't worth acquiring um so i had to so i ended up redesigning like every single card after that rejection based on, okay, how can we simplify the cards, make it maintain the idea of them being useful throughout the game, but really streamline what they do and not give you so many choices and not make it such a big math problem. And uh, obviously the result turned out uh, well, but like I really needed that nudge and that rejection that I got from my friend Justin in order to like do that redesign. Yeah, we, uh, we also, uh, another big change we made uh, for people who are familiar with the game, uh, in the original version, uh, there were uh, no outposts, there were just bases, and bases all had a shielding value, um, which is amount they would reduce the damage the player who had the base out took if the player was attacked directly. Um, and then they had a higher value, which was the base's defense value, so you could attack the base or you could attack the player, but it would, the damage to the player would be reduced. Uh, and we ended up changing that and 
getting basically getting yeah, rid of that just whole math with that too. shielding thing and just making them you know bases and outposts um uh and where okay some of them you can choose to attack or choose to ignore but if you choose to ignore it they get to keep using it and others you can't you can't attack the player if they have that out so that simplification was huge uh and then simplifying just the individual cards making them do sort of uh you know less stuff and then the sort of the biggest factor um that i found was uh, uh to get the game to a point of uh of balance where you, when you're going through the game you know the cards are really interesting was realizing that unlike other deck builders in this one the cards were worth nothing uh, their only purpose was to get your opponent's score down to zero. So we really had to work to make sure that the low-cost cards did enough that they were worth adding uh, uh, adding to your deck. Because like in a game like Ascension, you're buying low-cost cards and they can do very tiny things and that's totally fine because at the end of the game you're going to count up points and you know these little low cost cards that don't do much for your deck were worth some points um uh so if they weren't super efficient in your deck no big deal but in star realms if this card is not helping me uh, kill my opponent faster uh it's just getting in the way so like uh in some of our early passes um, many of the cards were not worth buying because, okay, maybe they'd help you a little bit in the early part of the game, but then quickly um, your deck, you know, basically they were keeping you from drawing your, you know, big expensive cards that do powerful things. So, uh, um, so the very cheap cards in Star Realms uh, are, you know, more equivalent to like a one cost card in Star Realms is more like equivalent to like a, maybe a two or three, uh, you know, potentially even a four cost card in uh, in a game like Ascension. Uh, so the, and that faster ramp kind of makes it fun because you know you when you're buying cards early, they're doing big things. So it's uh, um, it was sort of a neat uh, 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 effect of the fact that uh, you won by reducing your opponent's score and there was no counting up your deck at the end. Yeah, so much of the design and development process after the initial design was what Rob calls uh, hitting it with the simple stick and just making yeah. the game simpler and more accessible. So it was kind of a surprise when I, I finally showed the game to our digital guy, Tan, you know, hey, look, this is the game we'd like to make an app with you. And he's like, you know, maybe we should make it more complex. <laughs> like, no, 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 trust me. We can always do expansions. Like, got to start simple. And I, I, I think that's like one of the most important messages I, I would give to any prospective game designers or amateur game designers is like, you just got to keep it very simple and accessible while having depth of strategy. But the learning to play part uh, and the actual play should never feel like work. That's so funny. Rob, do you have advice based off of your experience as well? Yeah, so basically, when you're dealing with a component like cards, um, the the most wonderful situation you can have is when the gameplay is incredibly simple, like teaching someone how to play is super fast. The individual cards are incredibly simple. But when you start combining stuff, you get to do cool things and you make discoveries on on stuff that you can do. Uh, so for example, um, like, oh, this card, when I play it, it does this thing. But if I have another card of the same color out, ooh, I can 
put a card on top of my deck and, oh, this card of that same color has a thing where if I have a card of the same color, I could draw a card. So, oh, wait, if I play this one and then use its ally ability first to put uh, uh, this other card on top of my deck, then I use this card, then I can draw that card. Oh, cool. I can do this neat uh, combination thing. And the players will sort of ramp up their own play complexity as they sort of learn the uh, intricacies and interactions in the game. And you can get to the point where in Star Realms, players are doing fairly complicated turns, doing a bunch of effects and making a bunch of like clever plays in a specific order that allow them to, you know, do some pretty big combos or even like, you know, uh, uh, get to a scenario where they're like basically getting enough to kill their opponent in one fell swoop. And that complexity all builds from the interactions of the cards working together. So um, that's sort of component-based. It's harder to do that with, like, uh, say, like a worker placement mechanic or something. But uh, with individual cards, it's really easy to uh, um, have those uh, components working together in, in interesting ways. That's very cool. And so what inspired the initial theme of Star Realms? Because later on, you went into Hero Realms. So when I had worked for Rob at Your Move Games Incorporated, the first game I ever had published was a game called Space Station Assault. Like, I really felt as sort of like a a simple uh, non-licensed theme, like the idea of space stations and stuff like uh, spaceships and space stations uh, was really accessible for the kind of mechanics I liked. Like, I think if you're going to make a game with like people, uh, whether they're fantasy people or, you know, regular people, uh, you need more of a backstory because like, you know, most stories that involve people like the most stories involve people and to make them stand out they have to like have a like a whole world of a ton of flavor and stuff whereas um you know i kind of liked uh combat games like that were more abstract like okay we've got like tanks and planes and stuff who needs people type thing and uh so for a outer space combat game like it makes sense that it'd be focused more on like giant spaceships and space stations and it meant since we didn't have a license to work with that for making my first intellectual property i didn't have to have as much backstory like sure i had to have factions um and those needed some backstory but i didn't have to like have a bunch of individual people with uh tons of flavor for each one of them which for one person starting from scratch who's trying to focus on the game itself that'd be challenging and i just happened to really like that sort of thing like i always adored star wars for example when it was mainly because of the cool you know spaceship battles or whatever type thing so it was and also i felt that um for strategy games at the time it appealed more to nerd culture and there's only so many genres that appeal to nerd culture and both fantasy and superheroes and stuff had the same person uh flavor issue because like if you made a superhero game like you know and it wasn't licensed people just think oh that's just like a you know marvel or dc knockoff like it's hard hard and there were already existing superhero games like um and so there was just so much uh Uh, use of fantasy and superheroes and stuff in the gaming space, I felt that science fiction wasn't as uh, done and there wouldn't be as much comparison flavor-wise to existing games. And I felt mechanically it went well with 
the the mechanics of the game. You know, obviously, as you mentioned, we have hero realms now. And I think part of it was because turns out there's a reason there's so many fantasy games because people are obsessed with that genre um and part of it was when we re- later released rob's game epic card game uh, a lot of people back to kickstarter were like this is the fantasy uh, version of star realms right i think like it, over time it quickly became clear there was an appetite for it you know and so while star realms made sense to me as the starting point uh over time it became you know natural that yeah, I guess we should also do a fantasy version. Sure. And then with the expansions and stuff, like where did you take the expansions uh, for the game, the separate base sets that stand alone for Star Realms? Yeah, so with with Star Realms, um, we have all the all this mechanical space that we can uh, go into as uh, you know as we said we sort of simplified the game down a ton uh, making the original version so there was plenty of cool mechanics and stuff that we could explore um, but we wanted to keep the game accessible to new players uh, coming in and we wanted to and we wanted to make the game sort of customizable so people could play it the way that they wanted. Um, So we make uh, two general categories of expansions for Star Realms. We make box sets uh, that are, you know, standalone games. So uh, those are the original Star Realms set, uh, Colony Wars, uh, and Star Realms uh, Frontiers. And each of those is a fine starting point for a new player. If a player who had never played Star Realms before picked up any one of those, they'd be totally fine. That's a complete game. They can they can play it. Easy to understand. Each one has a you know might have a, 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 a Colony Wars and Frontiers have do introduce new mechanics, but the mechanics are like written directly on the card. So it's, you know, the card just tells you to do a thing. Um, And so it's not, you know, not an extra thing for a player to remember. Um, And each of those are, are fine starting points. And then with the, we have smaller expansions that come in little packs that look like booster packs for a trading card game. And with those, we play around and do some, some, you know, uh, crazier mechanics like we have events cards which when they come up in the market they do a thing that affects all players and then they go away we have uh, 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 gambit cards which are these special abilities that you start with at the beginning of the game are secret and you can reveal them during the course of the game to do cool stuff we have uh, like the legendary commanders which are uh customized starting decks with all kind with uh with extra uh extra rules extra uh stuff all kind like we have multi-faction cards etc so all kinds of cool extra mechanics that do different things some of them make the game a little more skill intensive some of the game some of them make the game a little more swingy um some of them just have you know cool different effects and the idea is with those little packs players can choose the mechanics they like pick those packs and then add them to their set. And then of course, everybody's playing with off the same game. So it's fair. It's not like, Oh, you have more than me. So the game's unbalanced. Nope. You know, player has exactly the sets they want. So the idea there being got these starting decks Any anybody can start with them. Um, you can combine those uh, starting decks together to have a bigger set and be able to handle more players. So you can play up to six players with the rules that we have. So if you get all three sets, you can handle six players, you, even though the original starting set is just a, you know, it's a two player game, but it has rules for up to six. Um, and then 
all these little expansions. You can customize your experience. Although plenty of players buy every single expansion we make and play with all of them all at once, which is, you know, which to- that totally works too. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of our expansion philosophy. And boy, there have been a lot of them. I was going to say, I was looking on BGG. I was like, oh my God, this is a lot. I love it. But I mean, it makes sense if you guys came from like a trading card background of love and kind of incorporating it into your deck building game. Yeah. So we design the new, we often design in a trading card game style in that like, you know, Magic used to have these like blocks where they'd come out with a new big set and then make a couple little sets. And that was their sort of their thing for the year. Um, and um, so we have a similar thing at a slower pace. So we'll have like, uh, we'll make a, a new set, like, you know, like colony wars, and then we'll have sets that go with it, like uh, the United packs um, uh, that, uh, that went with that. So basically a player could buy those things that we designed together uh, and pu- you know, put those together and have a cool set that they can play with, or they can just buy any things they want and combine them any way they want. But uh, we both test the stuff um, in you know in that grouping. You know, as we're making it, okay, we're making you know this box set and these expansion packs, and we play them all together and make sure that they work you know great as a you know as as a individual package. But then we mix them with all the old stuff that we that exists in the game and make sure that the balance is good between the sets and the play is good you know between all the sets so that's uh that's just part of our process to make sure that everything uh plays well together and so now would you say that this is now an evergreen because i feel like it's been around for quite some time people are obsessed. <laughs> yeah, we're actually people gonna... that have played over on the app like a ridiculous amount of times yeah so we're coming up on t- uh, ten, our 10 year anniversary um so uh so absolutely uh star realms is uh an alias an evergreen so like the first star realm set uh when we put it brought that to kickstarter um it raised um uh, 50k uh and we've had multiple sets um uh raise uh you know in the million dollar range uh on kickstarter with star realms including one you know one just this last year one you know uh, a few years before that we had the app for star realms has over a million downloads and uh people just play the heck out of it like many many players have literally over ten thousand games uh in the app um and when you think about most of the board games on your shelf like if i buy a game and i play it 12 times i consider that a huge win like many games i'll buy i'll play a couple times and okay that's fine i'm moving on to other games um so getting a game where not only do you play it and then take it down and play it again, but like, you know, people in the physical version will play, you know, play and wear out pack sleeve with the card backs or wear out sleeves because they play it so much in the digital app. People will, you know, just play it and play it and play it and play it again. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's it is definitely an evergreen game. So after Star Realms had been out for a while, I learned about this concept uh, that some people talk about in the industry of like how one game can sort of retire another game, where uh, if you 
add a new game to a genre which is better. And when I talk about genre, I'm not talking about the flavor. I'm talking about the style of game. Uh, if you add a new game to the genre that uh, executes the genre better than existing games in genre in an innovative way, like a lot of people will be like, okay, that retires these other games for me. I'm just going to play this new game now and not bother with the other ones in the genre. And so I had gotten a lot of feedback from people who said that uh, Star Realms had really retired a bunch of other deck builders for them, that they just played Star Realms now. And yet I see these games that had been out longer than Star Realms that uh, are not don't have as updated mechanics as Star Realms are still doing kickstars and still doing expansions. Um, so like if, if, you know, they're, they're still doing well enough to be in existence. We certainly are like, you know, we are, our kickstars in general trend bigger and bigger. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't feel that star Realms is on the you know verge of coming to an end anytime soon. And, uh, I, I think a lot of it just comes down to fan base. Like for example, uh, obviously it's a little different with trading card games, but with magic the gathering, uh, from a mechanic standpoint, people have invented uh, trading card games that you know might play even better than Magic in the many, many years since this has been out. But they've got this huge loyal following that, among other things, like hanging out with each other and playing with each other. And so the game just keeps going and keeps thriving. And I, and I, I you know, I love the fan base for Star Realms, and I, I really don't see that fading anytime soon, as long as we keep doing our job of releasing uh, expansions that are, are fun and interesting and balanced and add new elements to the game. I, I don't see any reason why it won't stay an evergreen product. That's so amazing. And can you remember like how long in total you think it was for the inspiration to the publication of it actually getting out to backers uh, the initial core set of Star Realms took? A couple of years. We went very, very fast on the Kickstarter to delivery on the mm. original Star Realm set. Uh, so that process was crazy fast. Like we, what was that, like six months or something? Yeah, even less. Uh, and basically, what we did was we like uh, we had the print files like going to the printer very shortly after the Kickstarter ended, and then it, the game was so small. Uh, because it's a tiny deck of cards, we actually airshipped product uh, from the factory oh, to wow. uh, uh, to our offices, and then like Darwin and I and my girlfriend at the time, Debbie, who's now my wife, and like uh, uh, and others, like we just like packaged box after box of uh, of post office uh, uh, mailers and and uh, and shipped the game out. But um, I so, remember yeah. at some point I was uh, either helping the UPS. We were working out of Rob's garage and I was helping the UPS driver either unload product or load product. You know, I've done both from his truck that he'd like backed up to Rob's garage. It was just a truck full of stuff for us. And I, I remember telling him that I'll know I've really made it when I'm paying someone else to be handing you these packages. Oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> that, is, that is the standard. That is the life goal now. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so the thing is initially people thought like, wow, what a fast company in part because so much of the work was done before we made the company and then before we launched Kickstarter, cause you know, it went from being an idea in my head to taking all these different forms and working on it for all this time. 
before we actually like, oh, no, seriously, we're going to do a Kickstarter for it. Um, so by that time we launched Kickstarter, we were very close to ready. And as Rob mentioned, this smaller scale uh, just adds things that you can do speedwise, like the air shipping that you just can't realistically do on a bigger scale. Um, so it, it may have seemed fast once the public learned about the uh, game's existence or potential existence, but there was a lot of time invested before the Kickstarter. I think uh, for me, the development process was a ton of fun in that uh, Darwin and I had played Magic the Gathering together for many years on a competitive team. And uh, so we liked we liked competitive games um, and we had developed a testing rapport where basically we would play quickly and are with the goal of crushing each other and and basically um, uh, losing games in that fashion. Well, of course, we don't like losing because we're competitive, but it's part of the learning process. Like when you're making competitive decks for like a magic tournament, you know, using new sets and in a you know format people haven't played before. You know, there's a lot of uh, iterations, and of course, you'd try and make your thing win. But if somebody else on the team came up with something super awesome, okay, great, that's the thing. You know, we're working on developing, and so sort of had this like friendly competitiveness that we had many years of uh of experience with and then taking that and applying it to a competitive head-to-head deck builder um uh, allowed us to crank through many many games quickly identify winning strategies then try and defeat those winning strategies within the constraints of the game like oh like you know darwin's buying a bunch of bases maybe i can defeat him by doing this or that or oh rob's taking a ton you know trying to take all the discard cards and deck thinning and make a, a discard machine maybe i can beat him by going aggressive or you know doing these other things and then when we couldn't when we like okay we've discovered the winning strategy which was sort of the thing that you do in a trading card game professional tournament is basically be a game developer break the game and then use that broken version of the game to win to crush all your opponents in completely unfair games um and that's what you were trying to do as a competitive player but of course as game developers what we would do is we would break the game over and over again and figure out oh here's the ultimate strategy this wins every time and then we would go back and rebalance the game so that was not the case um, until we got to a point where we were super competitive, smashing head-to-head versus each other, and there were a bunch of different strategies you could take during the course of the game, but none of them was the strategy. Like, oh, if you the player who gets to do this just wins. And instead, nope, that's a strategy, and I can do one of these other several things, and we know that all these strategies are well-balanced against each other. So that process was super fun and super satisfying um and and we were able to do it at a ridiculously fast pace because it was a head-to-head game and we had this incredible experience going into it so for me that was that was definitely the most fun so i think you were also asking what the least fun part was right 
Yeah, I want to know yeah, both. Okay. So for me, the the I liked most aspects of it, including the things Rob was just talking about. Um, you know, it's who who wouldn't want to essentially play games for a living? But it's the for a living part that gets me to my least favorite part. Um, so when this whole process started, I was already unemployed, and it's not like I'd saved up a ton of wealth or that my previous job had been particularly high paying because uh, I was working for a very small company. So while we're starting our own company and don't even have a product yet, we couldn't pay ourselves. So I was uh, living with my parents in Connecticut while commuting to Rob's house in Massachusetts to test with him and work with him. Because among the things, that was before you had really advanced ways of testing games online and stuff. Not to mention we do better work in person for that kind of work. And so it was just constantly driving back and forth while I had no income. Like, fortunately uh, for Rob's family, he had various sources of income, like working with Justin at the time that he and I started working together. I was just fortunate he was able to do this in addition. But for me, the hard the, the part was going like, you know, two years without a paycheck. Like I, I'd taken all my available money and put it into the startup money for the company. So I was basically like leeching off my parents and commuting long distance. And, you know, we didn't have an office because you just can't have nice things like offices when you don't have a product yet. Um, so I think this is why, one of the reasons why there's a lot of talented people who don't start their own companies is because there's just a lot of financial hurdles and hardship involved, you know, unless you happen to be independently wealthy um, to, to starting your own company. So uh, I have no regrets and it worked out great. And for a lot of people, it doesn't work out because there's a lot of risk involved, you know, and it was fun, but, but that was the thing I liked the least was, you know, not having any income for two years or whatever it was. Yep. I could see that. What about you, Rob? Did you have a least favorite? Gosh, I don't know. I, I, I love uh, doing, uh, uh, you know, doing the game stuff, probably like the um, dealing with the logistics end of things. So basically when you self-publish, um, you know, like designing games is awesome and fun. Developing games is awesome and fun, but you know, you also have to deal with like uh, getting games printed, shipping them overseas, uh, getting them through customs, uh, dealing with a shipping company to get stuff uh, uh, delivered, uh, finding people to order the game, distributors, taking distributor orders, uh, invoicing, et cetera, et cetera, basically all the non-game... Uh, um, the paperwork. <laughs> paperwork, yeah. So basically, probably for me, that was the least fun thing. Now, I do enjoy running businesses and part of those things I kind of gamify in my own mind where it's like, you know, figuring out the most efficient way to do stuff. So it's not, it's not that it's terrible, but boy, is it not nearly as fun as making the games. Yeah. I'll tell you, that's one of my favorite things about us becoming a bigger company because when we were a small company, you know, with like four people, we all had to wear multiple hats. Like, so there was no escaping doing some of the business end or some of the physical labor or working at conventions or, you know, hauling things around or making calls to game stores or whatever it was like, everybody had to do everything, uh, whether it was something that interested you, whether it was your skill set, you know, whether you're good at it type thing. I mean, there was a certain amount of specialization, um, but you know, there was also a lot of that. And now uh, I'm, I'm, 
fortunately for me, now that we're a bigger company, I'm more focused on the things that I'm good at slash like, like the game design and development, like the art uh, development and design and stuff like that. And fortunately for me, Rob is really good at the stuff that I don't like. Uh, it is sad because apparently that's one of Rob's least favorite parts of his job. But I guess that's one of the problems with being good at it and also one of the problems with being the CEO. <laughs> Yeah, well, although you know, we've been we definitely have been growing as a company, and like we have like uh, we have like a COO now, and we have uh, we have a project managers and, and bookkeeper. Yeah, so basically, there was a time when like basically I was the accountant and the CEO and the COO, and they basically like you know, pretty much every role possible uh, on the business side, and now you know we have a bigger team, so um, so yeah, it's uh, um. Uh, so that uh, that growth has been uh, you know has been nice and and honestly the the fan reactions to our games the fact that people love the game so much um, and like at convention after convention you know there will be people who come up to me and you know like you know thank uh, thank me for the games and talk about how like they've been it's been such a positive influence uh, in their life like getting you know like uh, brought a lot of joy to them and that is just so rewarding. That's so amazing. And a perfect segue to my one of my last questions, but what are some projects or some news that fans should be waiting to hear about? So we've got a lot of really, really cool games coming, uh, you know, stuff in the works. Um, and one of the things that I'm most excited about is uh, growing the team and getting more great people who can help us bring bring these cool games in, and uh, we've we've actually uh, got a new hire that I'm very excited about. <laughs> a very very talented, that, uh, very talented young woman coming onto the team uh, to do so to do project lead to do uh, uh, to do uh, game development, and she also does podcasts. Is uh, is that correct? Wow, that sounds like a cool person. Who is Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, so Daniel is coming on to our, our uh, coming on to the team. We're super excited to have you. You know, and we, we, and we won't make you hand any packages to UPS drivers. I mean, yeah. honestly, I like working out. I'm not actually <laughs> mad about doing that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, so, yeah, it's actually been it's been super fun uh, uh, getting to know you. We've uh, you've uh, uh, come over to the house multiple times. We've gone out to, like to comedy shows, uh, a comedy show in Boston together. Been uh, just sort of hanging out, getting uh, uh, getting to know each other uh, and getting to know the team. And for us, it's been so what you're saying is she's fun. a culture fit. Yes, <laughs> yes, for sure. And man, watching uh, you doing promotion for your game her story was awesome like debbie uh um uh, our our coo and my wife she and i were at a convention and we sort of looked at each other and was like man she's got some hustle that is awesome (laughs) so yeah just uh your passion for games and your just sort of your head for business and sort of uh uh promotion it was just like you know really cool to watch so yeah so officially welcome to the team oh thank you i'm so excited to start and i'm glad that my energizer bunniness is going to be great because i do (laughs) i love like i love games i love designing developing and honestly organizing so i'm excited to use all my skill sets 
that. And I'm excited to start working on some of these games. Like your Robot Quest Arena, I've been telling people about ever since I played. I'm like, this might be my new deck builder, like yes. in my life. Like I'm very excited for that to come out to the Kickstarter backers so people can play it because I'm hoping that's the one that I get to like demo a lot at conventions. So you will 100% have my Woo Girl-ness at conventions playing these games with people. I'm so excited. Nice. But yeah. All right. Well, what are some other games that people are going to be excited to see coming out to like either Kickstarter or to backers that you want to talk about? So we've got uh, we've got a bunch of great stuff in the pipeline. So we have Star Realms Rise of Empire, which is a legacy deck builder. Storyline wise, it takes place before the original Star Realms set. And it tells the story of the Star Empire faction rebelling from the Trade Federation faction. Uh, and uh um, and players will play through a series of games and literally change cards during the course of the games. We have like stickers in the set that people can add, or for people who don't like stickers, you can buy a set which has every possible card sticker combination as a pre-printed card. Um, and so that uh, experience is super fun playing through the campaign. And then when you're done with the campaign, you have a set of Star Realms that can be mixed with all your other sets. So super fun uh, Star Realms legacy set, uh, set coming out. That's, uh, you know, that's fantastic. Uh, we have the Hero Realms dungeon stuff. Uh, so basically new sets uh, for Hero Realms. So it's got a new box set um, with a new market deck. We've got six new character classes. We've got all the treasures and uh, skill and ability cards to level those characters up from level 1 to 24. We're making the leveling play way more accessible in that we're we're taking it all and putting it for each character in a thing called an adventure deck where you can get the character back and just sort of play the character PVP normally. And then you can get the adventure deck for that character. And that will allow you to level the character up from level one to 24. Um, and uh, you'll be able to play that character through any cooperative campaign or play the PVP leveled up games. Um, and all that new leveled content, those new characters, et cetera, we've, we're putting that into our digital app for Hero Realms and allowing our um, our uh, beta testers to uh, our, uh, our legend level uh, uh, backers for the Hero Realms digital game uh, they get early access to all this new stuff. And so we've got thousands of basically playtesters kicking the tires on it in, a, in the digital app. And that's allowing us to test and balance the stuff before we even print it. Um, so, uh, and that is incredibly important for Hero Realms because there is the number of combinations that you can make. So when you're leveling up a character, you're going to get to make choices on where to spend your experience and also which, like, which treasures to choose. And so there are thousands and thousands and thousands of ways you can build an individual character. And then, of course, you can play those characters against any of the other characters um, uh, and um, and you can play characters of different levels. So, you know, there's nearly, there's just an absurd number of possible combinations. So ha getting that huge amount of data is super uh, uh, useful for us for, uh, for really balancing the game uh, well. And it's the first time we've done that kind of testing. So that's both cool for the digital players and a really cool thing coming out physically. We have a new digital game, uh, that uh, that's going to be coming out soon. Uh, Darren, do you want to uh, say a little bit about Vampire Chess? 
Sure. Um, so uh, we have a straight-to-digital game. Like Typically, the way our process works is we make a physical game, usually a card game, sometimes a board game, that we do a Kickstarter for and we release the physical, and then eventually we make an app for it. Um, some games we don't make an app for, but usually... It, Every product comes out physical first, but this is uh, where we're turning the process on its head, and we've got a game that we're going to release digitally first. It's called Vampire Chess, and as the name suggests, it has a lot of uh, similarities to the the traditional game chess, and it's played on a a board similar to a chess board with the same number of pieces with the same starting positions, but there's some substantial differences, which I think can make it appeal to people who perhaps don't like chess, but do like strategy games. Um, In addition to, we're hoping it will also appeal to chess players. Uh, One difference is, you know, the theme, like instead of having a more abstract theme, uh, it's got a very specific supernatural uh, vampire based theme where you have a set of pieces which seem like let's say normal people like villagers and nobles and stuff like that but uh partway through the game the after a player makes his move it goes from daytime to nighttime and the pieces transform if there were a physical game they'd turn over but since the digital game they just the actual images transform so suddenly the villagers become ghouls and the nobles become werewolves and the coffins become vampires and so not only do the their appearance change but the uh, way you're allowed to move them and capture pieces changes so suddenly instead of your villager moving one space to either side or up and down, it can suddenly go two spaces in any direction, including diagonally. And instead of your coffin that's helpless sitting there doing nothing, it's now a vampire that can move as far as it wants in any direction. Um, And so the fact that you so you have the theming of the supernatural creatures like vampires and werewolves and ghouls you have the fact that over the course of the game it switches back and forth between day and night which is obviously very different than regular chess and the fact that the, they two they combine so like it makes sense that a vampire w- would not be awake during the day or it makes sense that um you know a ghoul or a werewolf might be more active at night and that they would have different powers than their daytime form, and thus the piece would move differently. So we've got a real tight uh, knit between mechanics and theming, but the two things that make it play so differently than chess, other than the fact that the pieces don't exactly line up with what they do in chess, is one, the fact that what the pieces can do change. So you, you can't plan as far ahead in the same ways in vampire chess that you do in regular chess. The other is we also have a mechanic called teleport, where twice per game a player can take one of their more powerful pieces like a vampire or a vampire hunter and move them to any open space, ignoring how they normally move. Uh, And that can either get an important piece out of trouble or it can help put an important piece of your opponents into trouble. But you have to be very uh, strategic about how you use it because you only get to teleport twice over the course of the entire game and it counts as your move for the turn. And that's another thing that's hard to plan for. Like where normal chess, if you're a deep thinker, you can think of every possible move your opponent's going to do and then plan for that and plan for it several turns in advance potentially. But here with the uh, chaos of 
what the pieces do changing and the fact that you can teleport some of them creates a sort of strategic chaos, which uh, I think can make the game uh, more interesting and in some ways more random than uh, regular old chess. Uh, and, and I think it's it's just very cool to have that uh, sort of gothic vampire theming to it. And as a digital only game, uh, you don't have to work like you don't have to worry about setting up the pieces or taking them down and various things like that. And it makes the transformation cooler in digital, whereas instead of just having like a, a chip you flip over or having to take a piece off the board and replace it with another piece, it actually transforms visually on your screen when you're playing it digitally. I mean, you got me sold. That sounds way better than normal chess. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we have a, a, just a huge slew of, uh, of games in the queue. We've been working with a bunch of amazing game designers, some uh, some brand new game designers who are you know going to have their have their their first games being uh, uh, released uh, through Wise Wizard Games, um, and a lot of stuff in our wheelhouse like you know strategy card games. Uh, we've got a uh, like a new realms uh, uh, game that we're working on. We've got uh, um, we've got multiple strategy card games coming out, but we also have a bunch of uh, uh, cool board games uh, in the works uh, uh, by various designers. So we've got uh, we've just got a, a ton of really fantastic games. I'm super excited about. We've got uh, stuff that's about to hit you know that just hit retail, like the Kapow uh, superhero dice game, which is incredibly fun. Got a new set for that coming out in June got robot quest arena that'll be hitting retail this summer and that game is just beautiful and super fun uh and and lots of really great stuff in the works so i'm i'm just really excited to see where we can take uh um you know the company and all these fantastic games i'm super excited too and i'm excited to work on it but all right so (laughs) let's get wrapping up on this episode but for my last question completely unrelated to everything you've talked about what is a game that you wish you had designed Oh, for me, uh, that's gotta be code names. Like when I first saw that game and played it, I was like, man, this game is so fun and it feels like it's so the concept for it is so simple. It feels like it always already existed when you, when you play it, like, man, I could have definitely done this, but this is so good. So yeah, I think that's, that's probably my biggest sort of design envy game. That that's, that's a wonderful. Okay, uh, cool. For me, it would be uh, Magic the Gathering for a bunch of reasons. Uh, one, obviously, I really liked the game. Uh, and, you know, so that's part of the appeal. Uh, two, uh, it was really groundbreaking when it first came out, like in ways that games rarely are. Like I never, you know, I th- thought of games as like something you might do as your casual hobby or whatever, but that was like, you know, something people obsessed over and uh, in ways that, in a variety of ways, both in the amount they wanted to play, how fun it was, and the different, like there's the playing, there's the deck design, and there's the collecting and the trading. And like, there's the uh, way that it's sold that encourages you to spend like absurd amounts of money on it. Like, basically, so one, it was just so innovative and did things that games didn't for like games were usually more self-contained like oh you bought a box this is my game but here this was something that there was no ceiling to the amount of it you could buy and to the how buying more of it made your game cooler and better um and from lastly it's such a 
so successful from a uh, monetary standpoint. Like, why would I like to have designed a game that made a bunch of people millionaires, not just one person, but a bunch <laughs> of people? Like, I I worked with a guy at Upper Deck who had a tiny, tiny position at Wizards of the Coast when it got bought by Hasbro, and like he was working at a slightly bigger position at Upper Deck and driving a Porsche to work every day that he did not oh, wow. own before Hasbro bought Wizards of the Coast, you know? So like, um, you know, that that's, uh, there's a bunch of reasons I would love to have designed Magic the Gathering. <laughs> totally makes sense. See, it's funny. I always joke that I played Magic once. I won and I retired on top. But as a kid, I was obsessed with Pokemon <coughs> cards and the amount of money that my parents spent on them is probably problematic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I, I didn't like about out, uh, certain games like Yu-Gi-Oh! And I think Pokemon was like this, that I experienced working as a store manager at Rob's store was the fact that they made it all about just the one rare in the pack. So a kid would hand me $5, I'd hand him a pack, he'd open it up standing right in front of me, mm-hmm. look at what the rare was, be disappointed because it wasn't what he looking for. He'd set the whole pack on the counter and walk out of the store in disappointment. Like Aww. there wasn't at least when Magic came out, like every card in the pack was cool in some way type thing. But like I really, you know, I, I think that some games took that too far in their efforts to make money. Yeah, I do remember getting rid of a ton of like doubles, triples, quadruples of like what I started to call like kind of loser Pokemon, where then if I found like a Charizard, I was like, I have Charizard. It's holographic. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a it's a cool game, uh, like which is why people got obsessed with it. It's just, you know, you got to find a, a balance between having a cool game that makes lots of money and like, you know, sort of hurting your fans. Oh, no, for sure. The amount of disappointment that a small child would feel. Or a grown adult. (laughs) Yes. yes. (laughs) Well, awesome. Uh, Thanks for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication, episode 63, Star Realms. And thanks again, Rob and Darwin, for joining us. For anyone trying to find you two online, where can you be reached? Um, So wisewizardgames.com is probably the, uh, the easiest way. And we have uh, accounts on like uh, Facebook and Twitter and stuff as well. And frankly, if you particularly want to get into Star Realms more, we, there's a great uh, fan-based uh, fan or fan-started fan group on Facebook, Star Realms fan group that they're they're very welcoming to new players and very supportive and uh, very helpful to new players. Oh, that's so cute. Honestly, Facebook groups are great. When I first started designing, I jumped into a ton of them. So check it out for sure. And then I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds. If you're looking to find me on social media, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under the username Token Gamer. That's G-A-Y-M-E-R. And thanks, you two. I'm excited to start demoing some games for Wise Wizard at future conventions. Nice. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.